While we're continuing in our sermon series on being the church, which we will continue through the month of October, and uh, I just want to begin with a little review. I guess this is the teacher coming out in me. But three weeks ago when we began this series of sermons, we talked about how essential to being the church that we're called to be is the fact that we are to be devoted. Devoted. Committed. Uh, we were just talking about this very issue. And, and you know, we are living in a day and age where there is just not a lot of commitment and devotion. I've even heard this from people that are leading, uh, for lack of a better term, what we would call secular organizations. Organizations that are not church related. Some of the same problems. Getting people who are willing to be committed and devoted. Uh, I, I ate at the uh, Legion again on Friday night. And as I was leaving, uh, Dave, the guy who cooks, asked me, he said, hey, weren't you in the Air Force? And I said, no, Dave, I, I didn't have any military service. I sat 1A during Vietnam, but I uh, never got drafted. But I said, I, I served on the police department. And he said, well, what about your dad? I said, yeah, my dad was in the Navy in World War II. And he said, good, and he smiled. And he said, I'm going to get you an application because if your dad was a part of the service, then you can come in and, and be here. Because he said, we just don't have people that are willing to come out and do things. And he said, you could serve as our chaplain. And, and, and I said, sure, I'd be glad to be there to be on call to help you all out in whatever way. Just a lack of devotion, commitment. Uh, I did a, a little post this week. Uh, I'm, I'm not on Facebook much, but I did a little post this week. And uh, I didn't get a ton of likes. There were a few that liked it. But the post was simply saying, church should be the reason that causes you to miss everything else. Not that we miss church because of everything else. Uh, growing up, if we had visitors come to our house, it was a known fact that our family was getting up and going to church on Sunday morning. And if they were visiting in our house, the same was expected of them. Uh, you know, we, we didn't miss church. It was it was just a part of what a part of our life. And and I I knew, I remember times when we weren't feeling well that mom would have us up in the balcony or over in an annex. Uh, but it, it was just something we did and, and we continue that with our family. Devoted. They were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And we talked about that in terms of worship. And the second week we looked at the fact that our preeminent duty is not evangelism, it's not witnessing. Those are important. But our preeminent duty is worshiping God. And uh, we looked at Psalm 105.3 that talked about glory in His name. Uh, we talked about the model prayer that we begin. Our Father who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. We begin by worshiping, worshiping God, thanking God and blessing Him. Uh, John Stott said that worship is the church's preeminent duty and we should surely give it our closest attention. Uh, then last week, we looked at the idea that true disciples are going to be obedient disciple makers. The Great Commission, as we refer to it, as you are going, therefore, into all the world, make disciples of all ethnic groups. That's what that word in the Greek means. All nations, any ethnic group that's out there. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. How much of what He's commanded? All. I am a person who believes that if there is something that contradicts the Word of God, the Word of God is what's right, not what is contradicting it. The Bible tells us to test all spirits. How do we test those spirits? We test them by means of what we have in terms of the Word of God. Does this coincide with what we have in terms of the biblical teaching? And so today, we continue this series. And today, my sermon is simply titled, The Ministry of All Believers. And the text that I've chosen to use for this, uh, there's actually two texts. I'm not going to read the Acts 6 text, verses 1 to 7, but I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto Him who is the head, unto Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May God add His blessing to our reading of His Word. Let me refer back to that book again, uh, The Living Church. And by the way, we still have three copies out here on the table if anybody would like to get it to read it. Um, with regard to this passage, John Stott wants us as the church to remember and understand that God calls all people to ministry. God calls all people to ministry. On Thursday, I uh, began reading Revelation once again, finishing up the New Testament one more time, and, and uh, I got excited and read through Revelation that day. Uh, I, just, I just love the book of Revelation. I, I was looking, I make these little notes in my Bibles of uh, the date that I finished something, and uh, I've read Revelation six times this year. I just love that book. And uh, 
But chapter 1, verse 16, right at the very beginning, Jesus, who Revelation describes as who loves us and freed us from our sins by His blood, then He goes on to say, Jesus made us to be a kingdom, priests serving His God and Father. God has called us to minister as priests. Now, we hear that same wording from Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Peter writes, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. That King James language, that peculiar people. You yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house. Listen. To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race. Again, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Are you hearing what Peter is using as descriptors for you and I? And the job that he gives to us to be proclaiming as Christians? We are to be a holy priesthood. A royal priesthood. Now, in the Old Testament period, God's people had a priesthood. But today, those of us who define ourselves as God's people are a priesthood. You hear the difference? They had priests. We are priests. Now, what I mean by that is we are somebody that we don't need a mediator. You can bow to God. You can go on your knees and you can talk to God directly. You don't have to go through some other person to talk to God and to pray to God and, and to ask God for things on, on your behalf and on behalf of others as we minister to them. Each individual believers... Each of us here today has the privilege of coming into the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 to 25. And, and we don't come to God through any other person on earth, but through one mediator, Paul says to Timothy, and that mediator is Jesus Christ. Because He is alive in glory, interceding for us. Therefore, we can minister to others as holy priests on His behalf. Now, that means that our lives should be lived as though we are priests in a temple. Each priest and Levite had different ministries to perform, and yet together they were under the high priest serving to glorify God. And as God's priest today... You and I need to be working together and each and every one of us need to be making sure that the ministry that we perform should be to God's glory. And listen to me. No ministry, no ministry is any more important than any other. 
I had a church that I was working with over in Illinois. And one of the ladies took it upon herself to do a ministry of card writing. If it was your birthday, if it was your anniversary, if she saw something great that your kids or grandkids did that was in the newspaper, she'd cut that out and she'd put it with a card. I even gave her sheets of postage stamps to help her out so that she wasn't in any additional cost. And let me tell you something. I can't tell you how many times people would say to me, hey, I got a card in the mail from our sister. and What a blessing it was. It came at a time when I needed it for those who were down, who were sick. Or how great it was to have somebody remember. Even when it was a widow or a widower. How great it was to have somebody remember that that was the anniversary date. To get that little card. An important ministry that was being done. I know some guys at a church. Uh, and, and Rich, this might be something that we think about. Uh, I know some guys at a church that when they found a car that was being sold really cheap that could basically be getting, they could get it running and do some cosmetic work to make it look good, they would buy that car, they'd fix it up together so they'd have that time of working together and fellowshipping, but then they would gift that car to a family that was in need, that needed a, a better car, that needed a car at all. Uh, just a ministry that they could do with their time and their talents. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the name. I don't know how much church history has been taught among this congregation prior to my time. But the restoration movement, the Christian churches and churches of Christ, basically started in the early 1800s as a movement of people a lot in the Midwest, in the Plains, southern Indiana and Kentucky was kind of a central hub. But it was a group that decided we just don't want to be a part of denominations. We just want to be free from the restrictions of denominations. And, and these guys came from different areas. Thomas and Alexander Campbell came from a background of Presbyterianism. Uh, James, James Kelly come from, came from a Methodist background. Uh, Barton W. Stone uh, came out of the Baptist. They all came from different areas just with the idea that they weren't going to have any creed but Christ, no book but the Bible. And one of the books that Alexander Campbell wrote, published in 1835, was a book called The Christian System. And basically, it's just a biblical study of all different aspects of what it means to be a Christian. One of the chapters, chapter 25, is titled... The Christian Ministry. Let me read to you what he writes. A Christian is by profession a preacher of truth and righteousness. Both by precept and example. He may of right preach 
baptize, dispense the supper, as well as pray for all men when circumstances demand it. Now, what Alexander Campbell meant by our profession was our profession of faith. When you make the profession of faith as a believer in Jesus Christ and you accept Him as your Lord and Savior and you repent of your sins and you confess before men that He is your Savior and you submit to baptism and rise to walk in newness of life, you become a minister, a preacher, a proclaimer of the gospel message. There's an interesting story at the beginning of Acts chapter 6. A complaint was made by a group called the Hellenists. And it was a complaint concerning the lack of attention that was being given to their widows by uh, the church in terms of their provision for the poor. These women would not have been able to work in that day and age and take care of themselves. And if they had exhausted or given away what had been left to them, they would have been in times of real need. The apostles, 12, because Matthias had taken the place of Judas, the apostles responded to that criticism by recognizing that the combined task of teaching and overseeing that had been given to them, as well as trying to oversee any poor relief, was going to be too great for them. In fact, by spreading themselves too thin, they realized that they wouldn't be able to do either job adequately. So, if you go back and read these verses, what you're going to notice is that they decide to get another group. They tell the body of believers, okay, choose from among you seven, seven of your own people. Make sure that those people are people who are wise, who have wisdom, and who are showing obvious signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The solution to the problem was to organize and mobilize a group of the believers to minister. Now, I think it's noteworthy that Luke doesn't refer to those seven as deacons. I've heard a lot of people say, well, this is the beginning of the deacons. It's never mentioned as that. In fact, the qualifications are different. All seven of these appear to be Hellenists themselves in terms of the name. Greeks who were followers of Jesus. It was just seven from the group that were chosen because of their calling, their gifting to minister to these ladies. And the same verb and noun build off the same word verb form, noun form the same word is used for the ministry that's going to take place. Whether it's serving tables or the ministry of the word. Serving the verb, the ministry of the word, the noun. But both of them use the Greek word diakoneo, diakonia to describe what's taking place. They are both ways of ministering, equally important ways of serving, the difference had to do with calling, gifts, and setting. And that leads me to...
to my second point. As a church, we need to understand that God calls and gifts people differently. My initial intention, my plan, my desire for tomorrow night at our men's meeting was I was going to get my guitar and I was going to plug it in and I was going to play alongside of uh, Rich back here in Cindy as we led the music time. Well, when I got the music and I saw the chords and I realized that those weren't the chords that I use most of the time, which are G, C, and D, or F, D, and C, or one of those combinations, and I couldn't figure out exactly where to put my capo to, te- to cheat. I told Cindy this morning, my gift is not sufficient, and it hasn't been practiced sufficiently to be ready for tomorrow night. But God gives people differently. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Paul writes this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. And then jumping down to verse 4, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. You hear all the difference? The variety? And there are other lists that we could look at. There are lists that talk about ministering, showing hospitality. Those are talked about as gifts. And Paul goes on in verse 12 to say, Just as the body is one and has many members, and the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And he goes on and says, The body doesn't consist of one member, but many. And God arranged the members of the body, each of them, as He chose. In other words, there wouldn't be a body if we were all hands. There wouldn't be a body if we were all feet or all eyes. Each one of us is a different part of this body. Now, I like to consider myself the wart on the little toe. Because I found out something when I was in high school. One of my friends ran over his foot with a lawnmower. In his case, he lost the big toe. And he had to have special shoes made because we use our big toe to push off. 
My dad had a friend in the military who lost the side of his foot and lost the little toe. He had to have special shoes made because we used the little toe of our foot to balance. If I had you all stand up right now and plant your feet firm and just stand there for a second and pay close attention, you'd realize how every once in a while you place pressure on your little toe, the ball there, to keep your balance. And if there's a wart aggravating that balance, how much better is it? That's what I like to think of myself as. Here to upset the equilibrium. To upset the balance. To drive us back to God's Word to say, hey, is what He said right? Let me go back and look at that passage again. The text we read at the beginning, Ephesians 4, 11-16. It begins by talking about leadership roles in the church. Apostles, prophets, and evangelists. And then the shepherds and teachers. Now in the Greek construction, the conjunction that's used pulls those together. One group, the shepherds and teachers. It's the elders. And the elders of the congregation are to be doing a very specific task. He goes on to say what that task is. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, if you have a King James Version, there is a comma after to equip the saints. Many people have referred to that as the fatal comma. Because punctuation wasn't in the original text. And the leaders, the elders, aren't just to equip the saints. They're to equip the saints. And again, the grammatical structure is, it gives a reason. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? Now come on now. Us. Us. If you've read the letters of Paul, how does Paul begin almost every one of his letters? To the saints at here, there, or wherever. The saints aren't just a group of holy people who have their name on a wall somewhere or a statue. We are the saints. We are the ones who are separated. We are the ones who have been called. And we are the ones who are be, to be doing the work of the ministry for building up the church. And our task is not complete until all of us attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature personhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Are we all perfect? No. Then we still have work to do in ministry, right? Paul goes on to write, by the way, and this is very important, that as we all minister, we are to be speaking the truth. But listen to me. I know a lot of people who speak the truth. And I struggle with this myself at times. Fortunately, right now, I have my daughter, who usually is close by, who can say, Dad, just quietly, Dad, and I know what she means. Dad, back off a little bit. It's not necessarily that what I'm saying is wrong. 
But Paul says we need to be speaking the truth in love. I hope and pray that I am never one of those Christians who people don't go to church and worship with because of the, the way they behaved. But I know they're out there. And you do too. We're to speak, be speaking the truth in love. And we are to grow up. I, I was sharing with Cindy one day that I had... I had uh, sent a letter to a publishing company that does a little periodical about an article that I wanted to read titled Adolescent Christianity. How we're all many times running around like teenage Christians in terms of our maturity. Wanting to be treated like adults. Thinking we're knowledgeable but then acting like children in so many different ways. A bunch of adolescents in terms of our Christianity. They thought that maybe that might not be quite speaking the truth in love uh, enough by that title. But uh, our task as a church is to make sure we are working together properly. That's what Paul says. And when we do that, we will make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. But each of us needs to examine ourselves and three things in particular we need to look at to understand where and how God wants us to serve. A man who I admire, who at one time was president down at Lincoln Christian College at that time, he was the first one that I heard use this, but I don't believe it was unique to him. He never said it was. But he talked about our global positioning system you're familiar with them. But he did it in terms of a spiritual positioning system. Gee, how are you gifted? What specific gifts has God given you? And how might those gifts benefit the rest of us? How can they be used in ministry? P, what is your passion? What is it that really gets your fires going? Now I'm not talking about that kerosene or, or diesel fuel or, or things. I'm talking about what is it that just has you motivated without some external force being put in there. We've got that lighter fluid. It's called the Holy Spirit. And that lighter fluid should have us passionate about something. What motivates you when nothing else seems to be working? And then what's your setting? Where are you? What opportunities do you have to use your gifts in areas or ways that you're really passionate about? I, I, I only share this because Rich shared it. One of his communion meditations, he shared how at times he has the opportunity at work to share with those who are working with him. And how they have mentioned how they knew something was different about him. And he's able to use that setting to explain to them why and what's going on and what's going on with his life. What's your setting? And this is important. My brother-in-law grandfather of Jerry. I love him to pieces. He's preaching this morning, I guarantee you. 
He wouldn't let this keep him from getting behind the pulpit in his little country church where he's at. But he loves to sing. He's got a passion for singing. And fortunately, he's in a setting of some people there in that little country church that love to hear him sing and encourage him. Don, when are you going to sing again? And so he's got all these background tapes and all week long when he's in the car he'll be singing along with one of his background tapes and then on Sunday he'll share that. Now I remember I began by saying I love him. But he doesn't have the gift of singing. But where he is in terms of his setting and with his passions, it's okay. But what are the ways that you are gifted? Cindy has a real passion right now for getting a preschool started right here in our church. And we've talked about it as the board uh, last year before COVID and we had talked and approved going in this direction uh, not to compete but to fill in the gap for areas where there are kids that aren't able to find a place. She's got a real passion for that. I have the training with my master's degree, but I'm going to be honest with you. That's not high on my passion list. And I've got, in my setting, I've got a ministry that I'm passionate about in terms of here and in terms of the camp. But I told Cindy, I will come along behind you and uplift you and encourage you and do whatever we can as a church to assist you in that. Over in Illinois, one of the ladies came. I, I had everybody fill out a card one Sunday. What would you like to hear as a part of the sermon? And uh, the question came in, why don't we have a food pantry? Now, that wasn't a thing I could preach as a sermon, but I held the card up and I said, whoever's card this is, if you'll come and see me. And to make a long story short, there is a community food pantry there in that community now that started by that lady's passion and her gifts and the setting. We started it in the church there first and then it grew quickly and moved over to another community building. And it's still going and it's still going strong. But it depends on how God's gifted you, what you're passionate about, and, and what your setting is. And then, my final point, working together. Because kingdom growth is dependent on our ministering to one another. And let me encourage you, if you've got a concordance or something, look up the word one another and just look at all of the different passages in the New Testament where it tells us to love one another, bear with one another's burdens, minister to one another, show hospitality to one another, in fact, listen to it in just 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I know people that have shown hospitality, but then for a week after that, they said, yeah, we had to do this, we had to do that, and blah, blah, blah. If you're going to grumble about it, don't do it, please. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified, God will be worshipped by our working together through Christ Jesus. And that's exactly what happened to the early church. As they were ministering to one another, when somebody had something excess that they didn't need, they would sell it like we did. Almost everything, well, everything that was a part of our yard sale out here was donated. And all of the proceeds went to the pool fund at the camp. It wasn't a way of making profit. It wasn't a way of supporting the ministry of the church. We don't have fish fries so that we can meet our budget. That's supposed to happen here through the tithes and the offerings. It's the gifts that go beyond that, not the tithes and the offerings. But we work together so that God can be glorified and the church will grow. So, in conclusion, how do we look at this? Well, first of all, I think it's very important that we learn to quit thinking in terms of authority and start thinking in terms of responsibility. How can I do something? How can I be responsible for this? Not how can I take charge or who's going to lead that, but how can I be responsible in some way to make sure that this ministry is being fulfilled. Let's pray.